Listen up. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the podcast participants and not to any participants, employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. You know, for fun. So lighten up and enjoy. Oh, Stomping Jen, here we are, sitting at episode 100. <laughs> Can you believe it? Uh, yes. Triple digits. Two years ago, we never exciting. imagined we would be here. Well, I'm really excited for this episode. As people know, we live in western Massachusetts, and we have a large military installation near us called mm-hmm. Westover Air Force Base. And I'm excited that we're going to be talking to Lieutenant Colonel Rodney Furr from the United States Air Force. He's going to mm-hmm. tell us a lot of stuff about of stuff. the Air Force and military life and some things. So I'm ready. I'm excited. And we're going to say hi to him on the other side of the intro. Okay? Yep. All right. Let's go. <laughs> Soft Serve Podcast. Creamy, delicious ideas without the creepy truck. Oh, I well, I made a mistake for our 100th episode. I didn't let that play out, but welcome, welcome, Stomping Jen. And let's say hello to our guest, Lieutenant Colonel Rodney. For hi, Rodney. Hi, good evening, Soft Tooth and Stomping Jen. How are y'all doing? Great. Doing really good. You know, two years ago when we started this project, we never imagined, mm-hmm. I think, that we would make it to 100 episodes, and here we are. So mm-hmm. we're excited to have you here. Um, as I've said many times on this podcast, I am a military veteran. Mm-hmm. I served in the U.S. Army many, many, many years ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm older than I look. People are often surprised. Um, so um, you're the first person from the military we've had on to kind of maybe talk about some military stuff. So I just want to give you an opportunity to tell our guests who you are and what you do. Oh, thank you. And uh, thank you for having me on this, especially the 100th episode. That's quite an honor. So that's something I can point to. And as your first military guest, so it's uh, kudos all around. So again, thank you all. Um, so, as, <laughs> sorry, oops. <laughs> on that. Yep. So, um, um, yeah, as you said, um, uh, my rank is Lieutenant Colonel. I am the Chief of Public Affairs at Westover Air Reserve Base in Chicopee. Um, I've been in the Air Force for 37 years, and I've been at Westover since 1997. Wow. Wow. And what does a Chief Public Affairs Officer do in the Air Force? So if you if you think of um, any time you've ever seen um, any kind of any kind of press release from the government or, or the military, or the government, uh, I'm the base spokesman. So a lot of times you'll see in a news story or hearing a newscast, you know, according to a base spokesperson. So that's one of the jobs I do um, because public affairs is the public face of the base. 
And some of the biggest things we do are internal and external messaging. And so that's, that's what I'm in charge of. I have a team of about 11 people and we do a lot of, um, uh, social media because social media is, uh, the way we deliver the news these days. We don't do the old fashioned newspaper. Um, also because I'm the chief of the team, I do a lot of the leadership and administrative work. So I'm kind of the, the, the person in charge and I don't get to do the fun journalism and, uh, public relations stuff a lot because I'm too busy making sure I, uh, all my, uh, team is trained and ready to go and do what they have to do. So, but once in a while they give me a camera and they let me out of the office. And I get to go do yeah. cool things like I'm doing tonight. Cool. Well, yeah. And thanks again for doing it. So you yeah. said you've been in the Air Force for 37 years. How did you How did you start your career in the Air Force? Was it in public affairs? No, um, uh, not directly. I actually was a journalism major in college. Um, and I was in the ROTC program, Air Force ROTC program at Texas Christian University in Fort Worth. And... Um, but I didn't plan on going into the journalism public affairs career field. I actually wanted to be a pilot. Mm. Um, and I wanted to go up and fly all those cool airplanes. Mm-hmm. And about seven weeks into flight school, I found out that it is a pretty big sky up there. I kept getting lost. Oh, no. So <laughs> after, after one training flight, I landed and my, uh, my instructor pilot looked at me and said, Lieutenant, how would you like to fly a desk? <laughs> and there, there ever after I, yeah. I started uh, on a series of uh, various adventures and career fields but I actually come from a long line of military family uh, service members uh, my I have two uncles who were in the service during World War II my father was in World War II in Korea I have a grandfather who was in the army in World War I um, I've been able to trace my lineage back where um, I had distant relatives who were on both sides of the Civil War And, um, I have a great, great, great to the eighth power. I say uncle who served in the North Carolina militia during the revolutionary war. So it's kind of, I guess it was preordained. I was going to go in the military. And ever since I was a kid, all I wanted to do was be in the air force. That's all I've ever wanted to do. And frankly, the only thing I've ever been good at. Yeah. And I I also flew a desk in the (laughs) army. I was a, a, I was a 73 Charlie 10, which is a finance technician. It's exciting. And, but, you know, people often don't realize it, but there was some mm-hmm. excitement around with it. You know, I got to be stationed with the you know, 2nd Infantry Division in South Korea, and I got to live with them for a couple months in the field. That was really cool. It's just so, mm-hmm. so even if you are considering an, an administrative career in the military, there's still excitement to be had. Well, I mean, there's excitement and reward in any career field, and I know I've had plenty of them because if a career field is not vital to the overall mission, then the career field wouldn't exist. So everything we do contributes to the ultimate mission. And I've done, uh, I've done so many different jobs. I can't remember them all, but every one of them has contributed somehow. I've been very rewarding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And have, have you been, I think you said you were been at Westover since 97. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. What other um, places around the world have you been stationed? Uh, I was stationed in Sacramento, California. And then I spent three long years up in northern Maine. And I say long years because as a native of the Southwest, I'd never seen snow before. And the Air Force <laughs> decided to send me to northern Maine yeah. to find out what snow was like. Um, and then I stationed in Turkey, right next to the, right near the Mediterranean. So I got to thaw out for a year and a half. Yeah. And then I was stationed in Spain for about a year. And that was wonderful. 
And um, then I got transferred up to a base in England, just about two hours north of London, spent about a year there. And then I got out of active duty and came to New England. And that's when I joined the reserve. Cool. And do you have a favorite place you've been stationed? Um, you know, I have to say probably Turkey because mm-hmm. I got to go out and see some incredible historic sites. Yeah. Um, I got to go see some Roman ruins. Um, I got to see some of the, um, some of the underground cities from the, that ancient, uh, you know, cradle of civilization. And, and we have nothing in the U.S. compared to it. Uh, the, the Turkish people are, are great allies. Um, the food is wonderful. The weather's great. And I would go back there in a heartbeat. Yeah, there's a great, um, speaking of the food, you had me at food. There's a great <laughs> Turkish restaurant. Is oh, there that, is in Springfield. In Springfield. What's yeah. it called? Do you remember? Uh, Sare 2? Yeah, Sare 2, I think. Sare? Oh, it's great. It's, it's really good. It's really good. Um, that's in Springfield. If you've so, not been. <laughs> no, no, I haven't. We'll send you a link. <laughs> yeah, so, so switching to the base you're stationed at now, okay. Westover, I mean... It's it's hard, I think, to explain to people kind of um, the footprint maybe that mm-hmm. that the the Air Force Base has on this region. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things I kind of wanted to ask about initially is how long it's been here, because in in a way, I think we we take it for granted that it's there. It's kind of always been here, seemingly forever, mm-hmm. um, at least for a few generations. So. Yeah. I want to kind of like dial us back right. to when it was when it was built and how long it's been here in our area. Um, uh, the the ground was broken in uh, 1939. It was part of the uh, Works Progress Administration under uh, Roosevelt, um, with the putting people back to work. Plus, he and his government could read the writing on the wall about the coming of the war. So, um, ground was broken in uh, 1939, and the ribbon was cut in 1940. Mm-hmm. And so it has been around in one form or the other since then. And there's actually one building on base that is still original uh, from when it was the very first building ever built on base. Um, so it was, uh, um, really came the training crews uh, going over to the European theater. And what was really interesting was there was a, a very unique bomb site that the B-17 Flying Fortresses made by Boeing Corporation out of Seattle carried and it was called the Norden bombsite and it was highly technical for the time um, very very critical to putting bombs on target and the American area warfare offensive in Europe so what was unique because the bombs would fly in from Seattle and the company that made the Norden bombsite was in uh, Illinois if I recall correctly and and those two the, the bomb sites would be put into the airplanes only at Westover and um, mm. then they would be flown overseas. So that was super secret, and they had to be guarded. So not only trained the crews, but it was crucial for marrying up those two pieces, putting the components in the airplane, and sending them over. So uh, Westover was a major, major base, uh, major employer, probably the biggest, quote-unquote, city in Western Mass for years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 1948, uh, they transitioned away from a training base to being a transport base. Uh, but still the base increased in size and I don't have the exact size it was then. I do know currently it's about 2,300 acres, but um, it was, I've seen some older maps and it was just a massive base. Um, in 1955, the transition continued 
to where B-52 strategic bombers were stationed here along with KC-135 air refueling uh, aircraft. And there were also three fighter squadrons. And that was probably the peak of how big the base was. It had its own railroad system, its own bus system. There were four schools on base, two elementaries, a junior high and a high school. Um, it was a massive employer for uh, the entire local community. Reserve base. So I say stand alone. There's some, but Westover became one of the first stand alone. Um, and then it progressed from there and it's been uh, a reserve base ever since. Um, but there is some also some other really unique history, especially in the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm. So Westover had a really high tech for the time photo lab in the early 60s. And so the U-2 spy planes flying out of Homestead Air Base in Florida flew over Cuba, took the pictures, flew back, landed at Homestead. The film canisters were pulled right out of the U-tubes, carried across the flight line, and put in the cargo compartments for some high-speed fighter jets flown up to Westover so they could develop the film right there. The film was then put uh, back on the same fighter jets and flown down to Andrews Air Force Base and taken right into the White House. So if you've ever seen the footage or the pictures of um, President Kennedy presenting his briefing, and he has the pictures up there. And also there's the famous dialogue at the UN Security Council. Um, There's some pictures there. Those were developed at Westover. So that was a really, that was a really cool feather in our cap. And there's still a lot of pictures around the base from uh, from that time. Yeah, how quick, that's fascinating to me that there was such a chain of custody of that material from when they Mm -hmm. took the photos till it got to the president. But how long would something like that take? Um, it, given the, uh, air, air travel, the time of the fighter jets, they could probably get them turned around about four or five hours. Oh my gosh. Which, which, which was really, which was really neat. So it was, yeah. it's really cool to be a, to be a part of that history. Um, and even going back further than there, the famous Berlin airlift, a lot of Westover crews were flown out of, uh, out of, um, out of Westover over, over to do that. And, uh, Chicopee school children were the ones who put together the little packets of candy that the pilots would throw out the window to the West Berlin children who were waiting right off the departure into the runway from Tempelhof Airport. So if you ever heard of the famous Candy Bomber, who was a pilot station at Westover, he was delivering candy packets that were put together by the children in uh, Chicopee schools. Wow. Now, I know Westover isn't the only Air Force base kind of in the Northeast. I think we have another one out closer to Boston. Uh, I'm forgetting the name of it, though. Um, um, well, there's Hanscom Air Base, Hanscom. Air Force Base. Yeah. Um, but there's also an Air National Guard base right over in Westfield, and that's Barnes Air National Guard Base. Okay. And do all of those bases kind of interact with each other on a like frequent basis? Like, is there f- coordination between all of them? Um, not so much, because the Air National Guard is um, a different major command because the air force is made up of the guard, the reserve and the active duty. Um, we certainly have a lot of interaction with Barnes because they're, as we say, just right down the street. And of course I have a per- personal interaction with Barnes because uh, my wife is in the air guard. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> we're, a, we're a dual air force couple. So I have daily interaction with the Na- national guard. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, 
So I, I was doing a little bit of reading um, in preparation for our talk, and one of the things I was I, I was looking at, I think it was either on the Wikipedia page or either on the Westover page, was that I think at some point um, in the 50s or maybe between the 50s and 70s that there were nuclear weapons or st- at the base. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how the base changed sort of after World War II, kind of up on, up until present point in time sure so um once the um once the air force trans uh, our west of our transition from the transport role into a strategic bomber base and that was in the mid-1950s um then the b-52s were brought in and uh they and the b-52s had at the time two missions they had the nuclear mission the non-nuclear mission um so for example the non-nuclear mission uh some of the b-52s from westover were sent over to be stationed in Guam during the Vietnam War. And they flew the, uh, just the, the regular bombing missions over uh, North Vietnam. And I don't, know if I, I don't know if I just stumbled down and said the Korean War, but I meant the Vietnam War yep. in the 1960s and 70s. And they flew over there. But then, so at the same time, because the Cold War was going on, they had the nuclear role too. And so, um, matter of fact, the municipal airport at Westover is the old um, alert facilities for the SAC bombers, Strategic Air Command bombers. Um, and they did have the nukes out there. Matter of fact, that's one reason the, the railroad was used because they had a uh, weapon storage area on one side of the base. And they'd put the nukes onto the train and take it on the train all the way out to put them on the bomber. That's so interesting. I had no that's idea. Crazy. That that's mission for, for years, actually, until um, the... Yeah, until the mid-70s when it transitioned over to reserve base and then the nuclear mission went away. Mm-hmm. Wow. And um, how is the base currently used? I know you said it's, it's primarily a reserve base. It, it is. It is. And um, so the 439th Airlift Wing is the host unit. Uh, and then we have some tenants. So we have the um, Marine Reserve. Uh, we have the Army Reserve. Um, we also have the Pioneer Valley USO. We have what we call a military entrance processing station. So um, they call it MEPS. And I'm sure you remember that from when you were there. Oh, I, mean, the I do. Mine was in Boston. <laughs> yeah, I remember that day. I can still sm- I remember all the smells and the, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, so we have a MEPS and it's a regional because uh, it used to be in Springfield and they moved it to Westover. Um, so we, we have that as our, um, as the major, uh, government tenants and organizations on base, but we also host, um, the Massachusetts trial courts, uh, our trial court officer training Academy. Uh, we host that, um, Hamden County Sheriff's department has a, has their, um, law enforcement Academy on base and the, um, state police also once in a while. Um, we'll have uh, some training on base. So we're, we're quite a joint use base. Mm-hmm. What's that place over by Ingranby? That little weird thing across from the farm. Across, Is that related to Westover? Across from Red Fire Farm. There, yeah. It looks like a reserve installation it's like a little in Granby lot with- uh, across from a farm that parks a bunch of, um, looks like uh, transport vehicles. It looks like yeah. it's army, I think. It, yeah. it might be. Um, the army army guard has a lot of little installations around the area oh, okay um, but i know it's not western but i know what you're talking about because i've been out to red fire farm because they have incredibly great organic vegetables and fruits to choose from they, yeah they do they and do. and when i go to pick your own the 
the big planes come right over that <laughs> farm, right? It must be in the flight plan for the landings and whatnot, because right. the, the planes are always going over there. <laughs> it's always like, oh my God, they look so close to you. I know they're not really, but... Yeah, and I know you said it's a multi-use base with mm-hmm. different branches. Um, what is it like with... Is it typical for different military branches to all be using the same base? Is that something that's pretty common in the military? Yes. Uh, very much so. Um, a lot of uh, active duty bases will have a reserve or, or guard unit from a different um, oh, internet service. And for me personally, every time, anytime I see anybody from the Army or Marines, I want to talk to them just to kind of learn what they do and, and learn how to speak their language uh, because, you know, it's... It, it's almost like being in uh, England. It's the same language of a little bit different accent. And I know when I've been on a joint assignment, um, sometimes I have to stop and say, okay, what, what, what kind of rank are you talking about? Or what kind of process are you talking about? Because they really do have their own language. Yeah, that's so true. And kind of different cultures too. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. I remember when I, I was stationed at Fort Devens when it was closing down back in the early 90s. early 90s um to yeah. mid 90s and i don't think i had had much experience with marines prior to being there <laughs> and you know it um culturally the marines are so much different than the army it was it was a little like like you said like meeting people from a, a different country in a way um i mean they were right. lovely they were lovely people but just very very different with uh how do I want to frame this? A very different intensity level. And, and that, and you know, yeah. and so too, if you put it right, because they do have a different mission. I mean, they say every Marine is a rifleman first and, yeah. and yes, I mean, granted when air force people deploy over to the desert, yes, we're all toting weapons and everyone's secondary job is shooter, but let's face it in garrison where I am, um, you know, I might sustain a paper cut once in a while, but, <laughs> uh, but, but they have a, a different message. And yeah. my, my nephew, my nephew is a career army officer and I talked to him and he's constantly deploying or he calls it going out camping. Yeah. So, so yeah, they, they do have a different mindset and they have to be, yeah. but, um, you know, we in the air force say, thank God for the Marines. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Now I saw this when I was doing a little bit of my homework, I saw this one interesting fact that I had to ask you about. Um, back in the seventies, Westover operated, um, a nuclear war command center. And I think it was either on the Westover site or on Wikipedia. They framed it as deep in the deep in bear mountain. So Mm -hmm. I just, I wanted to ask if that, if that still exists or if it's still um, something that's used by Westover or has it been, I think I heard somewhere it got handed over to another entity and they store books in it now. It it actually, it's the notch. So it's, as Ah. you go up north through, uh, uh, South Hadley, yeah. like you, you pass uh, Mount Holyoke College and you're going over into Amherst and back down the mountain. So it is up there yep. and it was used as a uh, command and control, you know, doomsday type thing. If you've ever seen uh, Dr. Strangelove. So oh, yeah. I always think of that when I think yeah. of that bunker. And of course, I'm I'm showing my age, um, but uh, it, it actually did get handed over. It was a book depository, but I also know that um, up until recently, there were certain banks that stored their financial records up there. Okay. Huh. All right. So it's still there and it's still being used. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mentioned, um, 
I, I work at a, a large university um, in the area. And I think at one point somebody was like, oh, we'll have to take you up there. Oh, like, somebody knows where it is. Somebody knows where it is. And it was in the right, context right. of that's where they were moving stacks of books to. Right. Which, which I thought was right. interesting. Um, so I know um, in, in kind of combing through the websites and stuff that pre-pandemic, um, Westover used to do base tours and offer them for different... Um, I guess, different entities in the public. Um, so I was just kind of curious if you could just tell people, um, since we can't go on a base tour now, mm-hmm. like what kind right. of stuff people might see on a base tour? Like what, what areas of Westover um, would we get to go and experience if we were able to be there? So the, the, it's a good question because we actually had different types of tours. So we have tours for the public and, um, we run those in spring, summer, and fall in normal times. And that's, that's pretty standard. Uh, we bring them onto base to our conference center and we give them a PowerPoint presentation and uh, talk about the history of the base and what we do and, and what all we do when we interact with the community. And then we take them out and we give them a windshield tour of the base. So we drive them around, we show them the historical buildings, we show them the training areas. Uh, we take them out on the flight line so they can see our massive C5 Galaxy cargo aircraft. Um, and then some, uh, we take them over to where the aircraft maintenance area is so they can get a walkthrough sort of a touchy feely and see what the inside of a C5 is like. Um, and then generally that's it. And then we have more specialized tours. We do one where, um, we bring in employers of our various reservists and that's more specialized because, uh, they get to go up in the air traffic control tower they get to go through our security forces armory and, and do a show and tell with some of the weapons. Mm. They get to a demonstration there. Um, they get to see our bomb tech team and some of the really cool robots and things they use. Oh, wow. And then we give them uh, a meal at our all ranks dining facility. Um, and then coming down even farther, we do some very special, special specialized tour. Like we'll do one-on-ones for distinguished visitors Um, If we have one of our service members who say it has a parent uh, who is a retired military member and we, we really do give them a, we put on the customer service for that. So it's, it's various levels um, that we do. And then um, once in a while we do a media flight where we'll bring the media in, give them a tour and then put them on a C5 and we take them up and we try to do it in the autumn. So we fly over the quab and they get to see the foliage and, and that sort of thing. Um, so it's, it's, it's really fun to do. Um, I did a couple last year just before the end of the season. And of course now we, we unfortunately don't know when we'll resume them. We get plenty of calls and we tell people just to unfortunately stand by to stand by. I think next year I'm going to try to get a podcaster's media badge. Stomping Jen. <laughs> I want to, I want to get that autumn flight. Yeah, that sounds cool. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, and I really like what I'm thinking to what you just were explaining to us. And I really like that you do tours for reservists employers, because I think it's mm-hmm. important for um, employers who may not um, have experience with the military to understand what, you know, their, their employees are off doing, you know, right. a weekend a month and two weeks in the summer. Like, I think that's a great thing. Right. Well, it's part of the bigger initiative um, called Employer Support of the Guard and Reserve. So it's ESGR. And, 
and all uh, garden places do it. And it's basically to just to, uh, again, like you said, help them, un- help the employers understand, because even when I was uh, um, a part-time reservist, I'm full-time at the base now, but when I worked at Cooley Dickinson, um, my employers did not know. And in their defense, had no idea what I did. Yeah. Um, and even my wife's employer, um, right after 9-11, they, you know, went to her and said, oh my God, are you going to go straight to New York City? So, you know, so they don't know. So we help them understand. But also it really helps when when someone has to go away for extensive training, why they have to do what they do, or they may have to take a Friday off to come in on the base to the base to work on a project or something. So they're they're very, very supportive and um, helps them really understand it. And, and plus they get to it helps also even with recruiting because, you know, um, again, when I was at Cooley Dickinson, um, I was trying to recruit some of the nurses because the Air Force was really hurting for nurses. Well, unfortunately, there was the misconception that everyone was going to immediately deploy to Iraq. And I tried to say, no, that's not the case. So when you have an employer who understands that they can kind of help um, um, support that as well. Yeah. Cool. Um, and thinking thinking about employers in the civilian world, do civilians work at the Air Force Base alongside of military personnel? They do. They do. Um, so we have a couple different, um, uh, I guess, ways of employing civilians. So one are civil service employer employees. So if you think of, if you think of reserve base, basically like a company Monday through Friday, and then it's a military organization one week in a month. Uh, so, so for example, Monday through Friday, I'm a civil service employee, but I wear a uniform because of the military requirement attached to my, um, my job. But then there's other straight civilians that don't have that military requirement and they're straight civil service employees. Hmm. So we have those. Um, and then we have some of our part-time employees, like our housekeeping staff, because we have a lodging facility on base. Um, we have the Westover Club for dining um, and, and, and they work there. And then we also have contractors on base. So uh, we have what they call the base supporting uh, operation. So that's all your roads and grounds, uh, electrical work, plumbing work, anything like that. So there's a contractor that holds that, and those folks are all also on base. So there's basically three different, I don't want to say classes, that sounds demeaning, but three different ways we have civilians uh, that are employed on base. Yeah. Tears. And, um, yeah. Tears. Yeah. <laughs> Tears stomping, Tears. Jen. Yeah. yeah. I know when, when, when I was a young private all those many years ago, and I was <laughs> on my first assignment. I, I was shocked when I walked into my first office and I saw, you know, a bunch of um, civilians like working alongside of the military, and it was it was just so interesting. Yeah. And I was mm-hmm. curious if you could tell people just a little bit uh, is if what it's like um, for military and civilians to have to like work alongside each other. Are there any, are there any challenges to that culturally? Are there great benefits to it? And just wonder if you could talk a little bit about that partnership. I I think, I I think the the best thing is that there's all the benefits and no negatives. Um, For one thing, the civilians don't move around as much as the military does. So you get that long-term continuity knowledge, especially when someone's been at the same uh, base for say 10 to 15 years. Mm-hmm. And it really helps because they know a lot of the process of procedures. And also because when we're civil servants, it's more like a company. So it's a, it's a camaraderie and it's a family. 
Not to say that our military organizations are not like family, but when you work around someone 40 hours a week, you really get to know them and, and value them. I have a civilian that works for me, um, and he's my visual information and photojournalist specialist. And he's a wizard with all things uh, photography, videography, um, special effects, graphics. And he's been doing that forever, and he's incredibly good at it. Matter of fact, I told him he can't retire. <laughs> um, so, so I, I really like working hand in hand with the civilians. But, yeah. but, you, but just like you, when I was a young ROTC cadet, and the first time I went on an Air Force base, I had no idea there were civilians in the military. And what was really eye opening for me, and also a great education benefit, was I saw a handicapped entrance to a building, and I thought like. And so I asked someone, I said, what's that for? They said, well, someone used a wheelchair. I was like, there's no military members in a wheelchair. They wouldn't be in the military. And someone said, cadet, shut your mouth and listen. Yeah. We actually have civilians in the, in the Air Force. And they broke it down for me. It was really awesome. It's like, wow, that's that's really cool. There's, there's you know, great opportunities for all civilians in the military. And, and what is... The, the, another good thing is the civilians, they don't, they don't have a mandatory retirement date. Like I, as a military member... A military civil servant, I have to retire in three more years. I have a certain limit I can go. But mm-hmm. we, um, you know, we had one lady who retired out of the base post office, and I think she retired when she was uh, ninety years young. Wow. Um, wow! So, so you could stay around as as long as you want. Yeah, and I, and I'm thinking back to when I was at Devons, um, Fort Devons in Massachusetts. We definitely, we definitely had there was a woman there who was like close to her 90s, um, who retired as part of the base closing down. There was a lot of fanfare too. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I was looking at and, and kind of going down the rabbit hole of doing my own research on Westover, I discovered um, was the. I want to make sure I say this right. The Galaxy Community Council at Westover mm-hmm. Air Force Reserve Base. And that seemed to me to be like some kind of um, um, civilian board that works alongside of the base to do activity. Could you talk a little bit about what that um, what that council is? Oh, yeah. And... Uh are um, many of the members are made up tired, but they have a uh, service uh, So they're veterans and local business community leaders. They support the men and women of the base so they can support the mission. They have fundraising events such as uh, there was a um, uh, the Westover run the runway 5k last year. And a lot of that money goes to, uh, supporting events around the base. Saturday nights, we'll have something going on at the club at the all ranks club, the Westover club. And so the, the galaxy community council will help foot that bill because there's only certain amounts of money, certain types of money that can be spent on morale events. So they subsidize that. They, um, uh, on the years we don't have an air show, we have a big base-wide picnic on our August or September drill weekend. And the Galaxy Community Council totally puts that bill, does all the cooking, all the serving. Um, they are just a wonderful organization. Um, and they also help uh, with educating the uh, local community and local civic leaders on what we do and how our West of our mission interacts with all our local communities. They're wonderful folks. I've known them forever. 
And I'm actually on the board of directors as the chief public affairs. And matter of oh, cool. fact, tomorrow night we have a board of directors meeting. Oh, cool. And I think I think I saw that um, the the membership is open to to the public. I mean, I, I'm sure there's bylaws and how they run the the seats on the board and stuff. Um, but right. I guess what I'm saying is for people who might be listening to this in the community who are interested, that could there could be an opportunity in the future to be able to serve on that board and participate in, in what it does. Yes, absolutely. It's, uh, they have an annual membership and then they have, I believe, biannual elections. Um, and you can just go onto Facebook and type in Galaxy Community Council and um, everything you'll need will be right there. Cool. cool. Um, and, and I'm thinking, um, you mentioned um, clubs on the base. I Many, many years ago, I also used to do stand-up comedy. And I remember seeing that somebody, I think, was hosting a, uh, a stand-up comedy benefit show um, at the base at one point. Um, and so I, I wanted to ask if there were facilities like clubs um, venue at, and venues at the base that the public can use and, and how, they, how they would do that. Um, thinking in non-pandemic times, of course. Right, right, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Back in back in the old days, would yep. you say that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, actually, no. There's there's not public access to the base. There was okay. um, probably about eight or nine years ago an initiative that never got too far uh, about a a um, military community partnership organiz- um, uh, process to where. Um, the the recreational facilities, the basketball court and the softball fields and the bowling center would be accessible to the public. Um, and also the Westover club for use for banquets. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is that because those are military facilities, there has to be the security provided and the vetting of who comes on and who doesn't. So there is a lot of, in fact, some bases have moved towards that, but after, uh, it, a study was made and, and a feasibility. It just didn't turn out to where it would be really financial viable, financially viable for that to happen. So it never got off the ground. Hmm. And I and so in combing through like the FAQs and stuff on the west on the West Oversight, I I, I ran across something that said um, people can request troops or military resources, um, mm-hmm. and there was a process like there. So I was just curious, like the I was wondering, like what could you what could a person request troops or military resources for? Like, what kind of things would that be for? Uh, well, we get we get requests for flyovers. Okay. Um, and uh, matter of fact, uh, this past weekend, one of our C5s was supposed to fly over Gillette Stadium mm. for the um, Patriots home opener. Um, and as a little bit of side note, uh, that's because uh, Westover's nickname is the Patriot Wing. Uh. And we actually do have a licensing agreement with the Patriots organization to use their uh, team logo on the tails of our airplanes. So uh, they always request us to do that. And it's happened in the past, takes a lot of coordination and it has to be a training mission that just happens to fly over Gillette Stadium. We can't use a taxpayer's dollar just to do that. But coincidentally enough, the flight pattern just happens to go over there. Okay. Um, But also (laughs) um, we we get requests to participate in um, local parades so like the parade for the Big E mm-hmm. on Military Appreciation Day or Fourth of July parades, um, we've had folks go out and do that. We also have guest speakers requested, and I've spoken um, at some local organizations. I've spoken at some schools for Veterans Day or Memorial Day, and that's quite an honor. Um, and um, 
so yeah, we get that a lot. Unfortunately, right now we aren't able to do uh, any flyovers. Even oh, I was going to back up. The reason we didn't do the Gillette Stadium is because there were no fans in the stands. Uh, so right. the Patriots organization canceled the request. Um, but also we, just because um, we're limited on our flying operations and also being you know wise use of the taxpayers' dollar, yep. wise and responsible use. Uh, we have to make sure that our our money allotted for training, flying training, is going strictly to that. Yeah, and one of, one of the great things about living out here in Western Massachusetts is we get we get Fly flyovers all, all, the all the time. We get <laughs> we see them we see them we see them up close. Um, um, I wanted yeah. to ask you does does the base get a lot of complaints like noise complaints from the community? Um, you know, like where so you, I, we've been here what 11, 12 years now. Fourteen. Right. We live in Belchertown, so you know we're used okay. to it. I mean, we you could look up and you know sometimes you feel like you can <laughs> literally touch touch the, the belly of the the airplane. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But so, and, and I'm with you right there with both y'all because. I- my wife and I live right, right off the departure end of the runway at Barnes. Uh-huh. Okay. So, you know, we get, you know, early in the morning and late at night, we get uh, our own personal air show. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's funny. I'll mention that because in the last uh, probably two months, there's been an uptick in noise complaints because of aircraft that do not belong to Westover, but they're using Westover's runway for training. Mm-hmm. Oh. So, um, uh, I don't know if in Belchon y'all have seen them, but they're the C-130 Hercules aircraft. So they're the four-engine. Oh, yeah. The medium-sized cargo. 143rd. Also the 103rd airlift wing, the flying yankees out of Bradley Air National. They way for a lot of training as well as uh, over the birders. So we've been getting many, many calls about that. So, um, you know, the first thing we do is, is uh, you know, it's a standard when they call in, standard greeting is, you know, thank you for contacting us. We appreciate your concern. Um, what sort of airplane was it? Because in a lot of civilian defense, they don't have any idea what the airplanes are. So we say, were there propellers on the front or not? Well, there were. Okay, well, then here's who, who you need to call. And we'll give them the contact numbers for the public affairs offices of those two bases. Okay. Mm-hmm. If it didn't have propellers, we say, was it big or little? It's little. Okay, here's the number for Barnes Air Guard Base. Um, so we actually do get a lot, but we have to log them because uh, every couple of years there'll be a noise study done uh, on the base uh, and the surrounding area. And we need to, you know, just show the documentation that we have. They uh, have fielded the complaints, but also what the disposition is. Sure. Mm-hmm. What I- about... Um- detonations i always i always follow you guys on facebook because then they say there will be detonations this weekend and you hear them right right so so that's our um explore uh, unexploded ordnance disposal our bomb tech team Mm -hmm. and so sometimes they're doing training Mm -hmm. with uh just some of the training munitions they have so they need to learn how to uh properly dispose of an unexploded whatever uh Mm -hmm. something but also, uh, one way we serve the community is we have what we call a mutual aid agreement. So our bomb te- our EOD team, our bomb tech team, is called out quite a bit to the surrounding area when something is uncovered that the local law enforcement authorities don't have the capability or knowledge or technology to take care of. Huh. Um, and it can be from um, something left over from World War II, somebody collected, or someone's uncle or grandfather brought home from Europe, and it, sat in the garage and it got more unstable 
Um, sometimes it's um, dynamite, you know, who knows how to get it. So they, uh, our folks have the technology, they can go down and make it safe, transport the base, and then um, they take it out to our range and explode it. So that's what you've been hearing of because they've been doing a lot more training lately mm-hmm. uh, just because of the mission they have. So, that, But it, it's also one of the great ways we have a mutual uh, partnership with the local community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and lest people think that that's you know, an infrequent occurrence, this discovering of old ordinance. Like I think I just saw on the news today, like I, I don't know if it was on CNN, like somebody discovered like dozens of munitions from World War One somewhere. Mm-hmm. That they had to they had to call in a, a yeah. an expert um, bomb team to come and deal with yeah yeah it's, right it, and, it's cra- it's crazy the stuff uh, some of the stories our EO got, EOD guys have told us and and uh, they had to go down to Connecticut one time because someone had bought a hand grenade in in Canada and brought it home with them oh my God. are those I, legal there I wouldn't Canada <laughs> come on Canada it was, it was you know uh, you know my, my <laughs> yeah. I don't know it, why they collect them, but, um, you know, so the local, uh, he also, that individual also had a lot of illegal fireworks. So the local uh, PD was able to take care of that, but they had no idea um, what to do with unexploded grenade, which is okay because our guys, they're the experts and they're very, very good at what they do. So, uh, so yeah, so um, Stomping Gin, that's what you're hearing a lot of yeah. out there. And we yeah. do put the nose out, but sometimes they're, they even make me jump over in my building because I'll forget that they're going to be out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I imagine there's little that can be done to mitigate the noise of a, no. a large aircraft when it's up in the air. Are there things that are done on the ground to try to uh, reduce the noise, like in the surrounding, for the, for the people who might live close to the base, like fences or bar- soundproofing barriers and that kind of thing? Um, no, no, but, um, one, one sort of natural thing that happened is our C5 aircraft got, um, refurbed and re-engined and, uh, they went from the C5B model, that's B as in boy to the C5M. And it's so much more quieter. Like I, I can, <laughs> I don't have to hunker down and cover my ears when one's taking off. And a lot of, it's amazing the difference. So by default, the noise footprint of our organic aircraft was severely reduced over the last year. And plus we went from 16 aircraft down to eight aircraft. Mm-hmm. So the frequency of our flying um, has been reduced. But but um, the aircraft also have a very strict uh, approach and departure uh, routes they have to fly. They can't go rogue and fly anywhere they want. So um, they do do that. And also, and also the C5Ms climb a lot quicker. So the amount of time they'll be closer to the ground decreases rapidly as they go through their uh, departure phase of flight. Wow. Cool. Um, I wanted to ask about the Great New England Air Show, uh, which I think a lot of people in this area and from afar look forward to. Um, And I, I think I saw the last one was in 2018. So I just... And, and I know our chances of having one this year are probably um, slim to none um, right. in, in this pandemic year. Um, but will it, do you think it will come back in the future? Um, and because I noticed there wasn't one in 2019. So I, I think I, it's every other year anyway. Is it every other year? I don't know. It, it, and actually, Stomp and Jen, you are correct because um, we tried to alternate with Barnes. So mm-hmm. Barnes has oh. one one year, and then we go the next year. Um, or it'll be like every like every three years. So we'll be a two year pause, and then Barnes will go. So right now Barnes 
is scheduled to have one next year, and we're scheduled to have the one year after. But uh, the, okay. the, the one so 20, 2022 right now is our, our pencil in. Okay. So I th- hopefully the pandemic will be over in 2022. Yeah. Knock I, on wood. I think we're going to make it. I think we're going to yeah. have one in 2022. Yeah. I'm an optimist stomping Jen. Oh good. Um, At least one of us. <laughs> now does the um does the Galaxy Community Council we talked about um put put on and manage that show or is that is that done by um base like air force military personnel like active duty or reserve personnel? So it's it's uh, at our base it's uh, the the event director, the air show director is military, and the okay. majority of the uh, staff who run it are um, uh, are military. But the Galaxy Community Council is a huge piece of that puzzle, um, especially with um, the social events that they put on Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. They'll they'll pay for the bands to come in to the Westover Club. Um, they put on a huge uh, feed for all the troops. Uh, they do a, a lot of support. Uh, they'll do DV escorts. Um, they also, there's a DV viewing area called the, um, the commander's chalet and the galaxy community council completely, uh, constructs that puts it up with uh, nice shaded viewing areas, lots of food and drink, uh, special pass only. Um, and they do that for, uh, two straight days. And also they'll work a lot with any kind of distinguished visitor to come on base to uh, get a special uh, meet and greet with the, um, with the with the aerial team pilots, whoever the aerial team happens to be, the Blue Angels or the Thunderbirds. Hmm. I wanted to also, um, I want to switch gears a little bit and ask about, I mean, thinking in the news today about more hurricanes coming, oh, right? right? <laughs> and kind of natural disasters. And I wanted to ask about how the, um, how Westover, um, might um how it's poised to and how it might um help contribute to humanitarian efforts um in, in our area and maybe even more broadly like in our country and around the world um absolutely uh actually westover has been involved in almost uh, uh in many many humanitarian missions over the years uh for example hurricane katrina and rita in 2005 we flew relief into them um also, the, Jap- uh, the Japan tsunami and earthquake, earthquake relief in 2011. Yep. Um, also, Hurricane Sandy relief in 2012. Nicaragua humanitarian mission wow. in 2015. And 2016-17, uh, Honduras and Guatemala humanitarian, humanitarian. Also in 2017, um, Hurricane Irma and Hurricane Maria. Okay. And um, I know that um, just about a year ago, one of our um, C5s flew up to Canada to pick up a donated fire engine and took it down to a Central American town that had no firefighting capability. Oh, wow. Um, oh, wow. So they're, they're, they're constantly doing that. Um, and um, I know that right after 9-11, um, one of our air crews was stationed or was actually out in California and headed towards Australia on a mission and turned back around and came back in and picked up a really high-tech piece of search and recovery equipment in their crew and flew them right to New York City, one of the first uh, relief missions to arrive in the city. So um, they're, they're very much involved in that. And then most recently, um, in March and April, 
many of our medical personnel were activated and sent down to New York City as part of the uh, government's oh. effort against the, the uh, COVID mitigation treatment. Yeah. So we probably had about uh, 30, 40 medical people. And, that, and that's really good because they liked it because they're helping out literally in their own backyard. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. And so when, you know, when, when you all see, you know, um, hurricanes forming and coming up the coast, like, is it, is it part of kind of the, um, life on a living on a base? Like, okay, this, this might be one that we could get deployed to. And that is that just part of the, the life of being kind of a, an air force personnel or other military personnel living on a base? Um, I, well, I, I can't certainly can't speak for other bases, but yeah. for Westover, uh, certainly we know because of our uh, regular and ongoing uh, humanitarian effort, we can almost guarantee we're going to be involved in it somehow. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, certainly, yeah, those, the, um, I guess, uh, what about uh, six or eight weeks ago, when we had the uh, tornadoes out in, uh, in Northwest Connecticut and Southeast Mass. Yeah. Um, we actually were released early from our work day to go home and, and, and let everybody go home to make sure all their uh, personal property was secured. Um, you know, so you didn't do the combination, uh, you know, uh, somebody going flying past your window, looking like Mary Poppins in a hurry. So you know, we, we wanted to go ahead and, and do that. So our command was very, very cool about letting us go early, but also, you know, when something big is coming and it certainly is still hurricane season, thinking yep some our t5s are going to be involved in the uh the relief efforts mm-hmm. yep um one thing I, I was hoping you could answer for people who may not um like myself stomping jen who had served our nation um <laughs> nobly and bravely um mm-hmm. may not understand what life is like um day-to-day life like living and working on a military installation could you just talk a little bit about what 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 that's like is it like is it like going to an office are there other things people may not expect or, you know, they should, um, know about just curious if you could talk a little bit about that. Sure. So, um, we don't have, uh, we don't have any permanent housing on base. So no oh. one lives on base. We have the lodging facility where, uh, people are coming in say for their two weeks or, or longer, or even during our drill weekends, mm-hmm. they'll stay in the lodging rooms. Uh, we have a government contracted housing area right outside the base. It's actually, the refurbished uh, former base housing that's been privatized. Oh. And so uh, a lot of folks will live there. But as far as what day-to-day life is like, it's, it is like a company, um, as I mentioned earlier, but it's, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's like any other 40 hour week job, office job. Um, we do have regular ongoing meetings, regular email communication, telephone calls. Uh, um, so it's, it, you know, I just put on my uniform every day and, and go into work. And um, it's, it is a lot more relaxed of pace a lot of times Monday through Friday, mm-hmm. because it's a steady state operation. And yeah. we're not because so, where the reservists come in, they literally have 16 hours, one drill weekend to do a month's worth of work. Right. And it's just mad crazy. Okay. Uh, but then uh, Monday through Friday, it's, it's a little bit more slower pace, unless there's something going on, unless there's a mission being generated or something um, with a contingency going on. Um, I will say, though, for those of us who all have the military requirement, um, it, by the Friday after a drill weekend, we work 12 straight days, and we're starting to get a little loopy. Yeah. So um, a lot of times I'll just kick my folks out early on Friday afternoon. And I say, don't let the door hit you in the butt. 
go home and just reconstitute and relax. Yeah. And uh, and for my wife and I, when we have the same drill weekend, by that twelfth day, we're 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 both just sort of like zombies, just trying to make it through that last day and make it to that one weekend where we fucking relax a little bit. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, it it is uh, like any corporation uh, where we just uh, we have our normal hours. Um, we go out work out on our lunch hour. Um, and anything happens, I know it, 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 I've been there so long. I don't really know how to compare it to anything else. So yeah. then it's been a lot, like a lot of my civilian jobs that I've had. Yeah. And I, you know, I was, I was, I was, I was surprised by that when, when I got to my regular station, you know, so to speak, um, like out of all of the training stuff, mm-hmm. just how much it was like a regular job, you know, uh, except for we lived on the bases that. I was stationed at, um, yeah. so we would, you know, we'd have to get up sometimes early in the morning and do PT. But other than that, it was really just like any other civilian job I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be surprising to some people, um, you know, who, 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 and, and I, I'm <laughs> saying, looking at me. yeah, I'm saying that, <laughs> I'm saying that because I think that's a fact of I military life. People don't often get exposed to, they see yeah. the stuff in movies and they see the right. stuff about basic training and, mm-hmm. but, but it, it really like the actual life of military work is, it, is very different than that. And, right. and I was surprised to find that out as a young as a young soldier in the army, like nobody had told me that, you know, and part of it is that I think they don't want to tell you that, you know, (laughs) after you get out of this training, it's going to be, people are going to be a lot nicer to you and it's going to be easier. I don't know. Right. right. (laughs) Well, and and you're right, because even at the training bases, uh, Air Force basic training is at Lackland Air Force Base down in San Antonio. And there is a portion of the base that is strictly training. And it is, it is all basic training. And they basically tell anybody, if you're not involved in basic training, don't go into that area. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> don't ruin the, the illusion. Rest of the base, right. Right. It's just sort of normal, but you're right. Uh, uh, people will see you know, like the first part of full metal jack. Yeah. Where, where people think that is military life. And I even, I remember when I uh, worked at one of my civilian jobs, and I was talking to some about joining the military and they said, Oh, I don't want to go in the military because people are always yelling at you. And I said, no, that's just training. When you yeah. get to it, it's, it's just a, a normal Monday through Friday job with some odd hours here and there. Yeah. 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 And I, I remember when I was in basic training, there was this one moment where the illusion was briefly shattered. There was these two, um, two gentlemen who were coming to our, our, our chow hall. That's what we called it at the time. And they were like kind of standing around outside talking and smiling and laughing. And we were all looking at them like they were, you know, creatures, creatures from another planet. We were like, what is this? And then immediately our sergeants came over like, what are you looking at? You know, don't you keep your eyes front? Like, you know, they didn't even yeah. want us to see that. Right. Right. And then they went over and talked to those guys. And like, I think they shooed them along. <laughs> like, you, you're, you're, Get right. yeah, you're breaking, you're breaking the illusion that we're all mean. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, was it, was it- yeah, move along. Nothing to see here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, exactly. How how long are um, I know um, Rodney? You said you've been at, at the base for a long time. How long are people typically stationed at a Air Force base like Westover? Um, well, that's a good question because we have some folks uh, the, on the military side who have been there a long, long time. We just had two sergeants retire. Um, one had been at Westover since 83 and one had been at Westover since 1980. Wow. Um, but we also have, um, especially in the senior leadership level, 
we have a pretty we have a higher turnover. Uh, people are going to other other reserve bases to seek promotion opportunities or uh, career broadening. So sometimes it'll only be three or four years, um, and then it's kind of a mix. Um, in my in, on my public affairs staff, um, I have a major who's leaving, and she's been there for four years. I have a couple NCOs who have been there for about six or seven years, and they're going on to other assignments. I have one young young airman, and she's been only there for a year. Uh, and she's moving to another base out of state. So we we do seem to have a little bit of rotation here and there and then mm-hmm. other bases. And also um, some people will just end out their enlistment. They'll they'll do their initial four-year hitch and just decide, yeah, you know what, this is not for me. I'm just going to go ahead and get out. Or they have a conflict with family or employer or they're getting moved. I had I had one sergeant and she got accepted for a doctoral study in California. So mm-hmm. obviously we we, you know, we let her yeah. Uh, get out of her and listen because we're not going to make her travel back and forth for just one week in a month. Yeah. Um, and and then other people, um, like I said, they just decide, yeah, you know, maybe this isn't what I want to do when I grow up and get big. So they'll go ahead and, and get out. Yeah. And what, what's it, what's it kind of like to, to work? Um, I guess this is more common now, even in the civilian world, but I was thinking about what it's like to, to work and be part of a culture, culture where transience is kind of like, so built into it we're moving around so much as mm-hmm. part of it you know whether it's a a one-year assignment or a two-year assignment um i just want to ask you if you had any thoughts like about that aspect of military life like the moving around part of it and it it's um when i was a young officer i was single and yeah. i loved it i loved it getting bounced around i you know i had i had no debt because the Air Force paid for my college and I had a vehicle and everything I could pack would go into like seven suitcases and that was yep. it. So it was very mobile. Um, but other other couples who are career military, uh, you know, I've, I've talked to folks who are in the military now and they said, you know, I was a military brat growing up and I loved it and I love being stationed around the world. Of course, other people say I hated it because I went to seven schools by the time I was in 12th grade. Um, and, and I know some families just get tired of the constant packing up and moving and then unpacking and then packing up and moving. Um, but also, you know, some people just like the, the mobility and it gives them a chance. And then uh, a lot of times if someone's been stationed in an area, say down in San Antonio, Texas, when they're active duty, when they retire, they're like, yeah, I really like that. So it gave me an opportunity to really see what that city's like. And I want to go there when I get out of back duty. Yeah. Or like me, I know I never want to go back to Northern Maine ever again. So it's beneficial. <laughs> yeah. Is there is there a way to kind of say to the Air Force or the Army or whatever it is, like, this is my home base. This is where I want to, this is like where I want to be most of the time in my career. Like, is there that option or is it, you don't have that really? Uh, well, in the reserve, if uh, it's more of finding out if there's an opening, either on the military side or the civil service side, yep. and it's basically like you just have to apply for a job, and if you get accepted, you you move there, or you maybe you live in one state and you 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 fulfill your military commitment at the base of your choosing. So it's much easier to pick and choose as a reserve member. Active duty. There is a process, and it's uh, aptly nicknamed the dream sheet process because, yeah. you know, and, and I remember when I was a young officer, it's actually a piece of paper, and you put down your top five preferences and literally say, yeah, go ahead and dream on. Yeah. So, and then you get yeah. in, uh, in northern Maine. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or. I mean, you know, and they say, 
you know, the Air Force dartboard. Yeah. And yeah. Simon's folks would throw a dart and go, uh, you're going to North Dakota. Yeah. Or, <laughs> so, or, or, yeah, I was going to say, or you befriend a retiring um, command sergeant major and beg him to get you to a, a closing base. <laughs> and somehow he does it. That's what happened to me. <laughs> He's like, all yeah, right, I, I uh, guess I'll do this last favor on my way out. <laughs> right, but it's it's um, on the active duty side. It's called the needs of the Air Force come first. Yeah, and if the Air Force needs a finance troop or a public affairs troop in uh, some uh, you know isolated village on a mountaintop in Greece, guess what? You're going. Yeah. Uh, but again, with the reserves, we have a lot more. As a full-timer, uh, I had to sign what they call a mobility agreement, which means I agreed I serve at the pleasure of the government. And if they yeah. tell me to go and serve somewhere else, I will. But the reality is I, I pretty much know I'm not going anywhere. And I've only got three years left, so I know they're not yeah. going to move me. Sure. Um, for uh, for younger for younger people in the military, um, you know, I, I was thinking back um, how, how you told us your, your wife is also in the military. Um, what happens if you if you meet somebody and you want to get married? Can you move around together when you're married? Like, th- th- is there a provision for something like that? Um, on again, it's different with the active duty and the reserve. Okay. Um, so so for the reserve, uh, example, if my wife was also at Westover and we wanted to move to Oregon, for example, all we'd have to do is find uh, an opening. We both had to find an opening at base. As a matter of fact, uh, here's a case in point. Um, there's a sergeant in my section, and she and her husband just moved from San Antonio to Boston, and she's in my section, and he's a communications technician. So they were able to find a uh, base. They're both going to school in Boston. They were able to find openings at Westover. Mm-hmm. So that's yes. how it works on the Guard and Reserve side. Yeah. On the active duty side, the Air Force does not have to station spouses at the same base. Um, and again, it's a, it's a request process and the military tries to honor that, but, um, I've known more than a few dual military couples in one state in Korea and the other one stationed in Germany. And, um, that's, that's the way it goes. Or even in the States, but a lot of times they'll, um, they'll have what they call a joint spouse assignment. So you get to join your spouse at or near a base where the other spouse is and the air force endeavors to do that. But um, that's actually a one reason a lot of folks get out of active duty and come to the Guard Reserve because they know it's it's a lot easier. Yeah, and one another, I guess, kind of related to that. One thing I wanted to ask about was: Do people, um, when they retire um, from either, I guess, the reserves or active duty, do they tend to um, retire into the area like of their last assignment? Do you? It, do you know, is there any information about that? I'm just curious. Sure. And it, it, it depends. Yeah. Um, San Antonio is a huge retiree area because folks like it and the weather is nice. Or they've been in San Antonio, uh, which is a major military uh, city. Uh, they've been there before. And when they were retired, they moved back there. Uh, Florida, our bases in Florida are really big. But we actually have a pretty high population here in New England um, around uh, Westover and around Barnes. Um, and a lot of that, those, because they are New England natives, mm-hmm. yeah. although I joke with my wife that because I'm not a New England native, um, I would be okay after we both retire, if I can sell the snowblower and move somewhere else, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I will tolerate winter. But again, growing up in the great Southwest, I'm 
not a fan of winter. Mm-hmm. So um, I personally would, you know, I, as they say where I come from, I would lay rubber for the county line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, the older I get, the oh less a fan of winter I am becoming. I have found, I like yeah, as I'm on the, as I've gotten on the other side of 45 now, I'm just like, oh, please, I'm done with this, no more. Um, so, uh, I know there, there, I know we've talked a little bit about what real life in the military is like, what it's really like to work in the military. And it's curious if you, as somebody. Um, who's been at this for a while. Do you have any advice for anybody who might be sitting here thinking about, you know, a career in the military? Uh, Absolutely. I I highly encourage it, even if it's just for the initial four-year enlistment. Uh, You get some great experience. You uh, get to basically, it's a a transformation into adulthood. You learn responsibility, uh, teamwork, accountability. Uh, Who knows where you're going to be stationed? You, you know, someone who's never been outside the United States could get really lucky and be to a, go to an awesome overseas base, of which there's several, and get to experience a different culture, different food, different way of life. Um, and also, employers really like when they see military on a resume because they know the person knows how to work. They know they've had to do some things that just aren't pleasant, get up at, oh, dark 30, uh, work some extended hours, and they have a sense of responsibility and teamwork. Um, and a lot of times there's a lot more maturity in a 22 year old who's been through four years of service than a 22 year old who is not. Yeah. So I encourage it. And also there's just some, be some incredible experiences of, you know, going back to when I was in Turkey, had I never joined the military, I would have not gotten to see some awesome Roman ruins. Um, when I went to, when I was stationed, um, crooked man who walked a crooked mile um the rest of it but there's an actual town where so there's a lot of other benefits but just the and just also just the, uh, serving my country in some incredible missions and a lot of things i can't go into but i've got to done do and see and been exposed to that are incredibly rewarding Cool. All right. And speaking of things you're probably not going to be able to go into, and I sent you these questions ahead of time, and I'm prepared for yeah. you to not answer these, but I have to ask them because I'm a he's obsessed. I'm a little obsessed with unidentified aerial phenomenon, so <laughs> I, I, I I'm prepared for the non-answer if I get one. But um, and and I'm I'm asking this because it's been in the news recently, um, mm-hmm. and there've been I think um, official statements from the um, Department of Defense and the Air Force saying, you know, these videos showing these what look like aircraft where they're unidentified, we don't know what they are, are real. These jets actually film these things. Um, so they've been, so these things have been in the news. They've been verified by the government. So I just, I just wanted to ask if there are any thoughts you can share <laughs> with us about, about these things. <laughs> So on the official side, we don't have a lot of information that flowed down to Westover. Okay. Uh, um, it's certainly um, nothing that we've given, even even um, with our talking points or guidance we've gotten from Air Force Reserve Headquarters Public Affairs, which they call the effect on Westover. We haven't had. Um, any calls about it? We've had no official media queries. So on the on the professional side, um, we really don't have a lot to do with it. 
know, on the personal side, as a New Mexico native, uh, I am very thorough with Roswell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when I was a kid growing up in New Mexico, I'd go out and look up at the sky at night and see what I could see. Yeah. Um, and probably 1973, 1974, I wrote to the government printing office and received declassified copies of all the Blue Book files. Oh. Um, I am a super, super fan of UFOs. Um, I love it. Um, I'm watching Project Blue Book on Peacock Premium. Oh, is it good? Um, it, you know, the storyline is pretty good. The acting is kind of <laughs> second rate, but, okay. but it is based on a lot of the studies done for the actual Blue Book. Um, uh, one of my coworkers uh, actually went out to the Storm Area 51 last year. He didn't storm it, oh, but he, did stay at the, he stayed at the Alien. And <laughs> he's, a big, he's a big fan. Of, uh, he actually has a t-shirt that says the Storm Area 51 5K. Um, but uh, okay. I think it's incredibly fascinating. And and when I was younger in, in, in New Mexico and also over in Texas, my family and I witnessed a couple things we really can't explain. So, yeah, as, as personal, you know, not speaking as an Air Force officer, yeah. uh, I'm very fascinated by it. And I'm not sure how far is out and how far is up. And uh, what is out there? But uh, I think, as a show once said, the truth is out there. Yes. Yep. So, stomping Jen, I think uh, three years it's from now, go on a mission. Three years from now, I think I found my co-host for my UFO podcast. Um, <laughs> so we'll, right. we'll make sure we keep track of you. Thank you. <laughs> no, thank. Thanks for answering those questions. I really appreciate it. I had sure, to ask. Sure. Um, so no, it's it, it's quite okay. Yeah. Um, so switching switching. Gear, gears a little bit we like to we li- always like to like end our interviews with just asking our guests kind of stuff some about some light questions like personal <laughs> sure, stuff and sure. just to let us get to know you a little bit better like um so when you're not working and you're not you know um doing your air force job like what do you like to do for fun when you're not working like what are your what are you into uh well i like i like to hang out with my, with my wife yep. we've been married for 15 years and we're, we're so, yep. <laughs> we're, we're madly loved so we yeah. love hanging out together where yeah. like tonight we went for a nice walk just to enjoy the fresh air um or or doing other things together even even as corny sounds going grocery shopping is one of our favorite things because we laugh and joke and people watch and uh, i get to push the cart <laughs> and um but we do that but but um individually um i'm a long distance cyclist oh. so um i i love to go out and ride a couple weeks ago i rode from our town, my home in Southampton, up to Brattleboro and back. Oh um, my God. God. That's many it was, miles. <laughs> it was 129. Oh my God. Um, so I, I love doing cycling. Um, uh, I'm absolutely glued to Peacock Premium for the Tour de France going on right now. Uh, oh, um, my father-in-law, my father-in-law loves the Tour de France. Mm-hmm. Yes. But also um, as a, as a, a, a journalism kind of guy, um, I don't, I like to, I keep a little, I won't say a log, but I call it a reflections book. And I like to write in there once in a while. Mm. Um, and it, it, you know, I don't, we don't have a lot of downtime between us, but uh, we make a way. And, and I, and I mentioned, you know, your, your canine companion there. Um, up until recently, my wife and I rescued um, senior Labrador retrievers. Nice. Uh, oh. We like, we like, we love the frosted faces and yep. we uh, rescue them. And uh, we haven't had one for a while, but we're not done uh, making, you know, giving them a, a wonderful home in their golden years. Um, so that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of what we like to do in our spare time. 
Nice. Well, thanks. thanks. Thanks for sharing that with us. We it's appreciate a nice it. Thing to do. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, yeah. Adopting the se- more senior, senior animals. Dogs, yeah. 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 Um, mm-hmm. um, okay. So not not related to um, <laughs> UFOs in any way. This is a question I ask everybody. Yeah. Um, and you can interpret it any way any way you want. Um, what have okay. you What have you seen that you can't explain? Well, you know the the. The the flip answer is I've seen people get promoted into senior leadership positions, and I don't know how the hell that happened. <laughs> the, yeah, there's that's a great. Answer. There's a lot of failing upward out there in the world. <laughs> you know the, the the running joke that I have with some of my peers, my close peers over Westover. You hear someone got promoted, you're like, "What? Did someone lose a bet?" So, <laughs> um, I truly cannot explain why the nice guys and gals sometimes don't get promoted, but. Um, I don't know. You know, I actually think back to, to some of the things we saw in the sky in New Mexico. I mean, we literally, when the entire family sees something and they want, and we watch it for 45 minutes and we cannot explain it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. And so I don't know other things I, I can't explain. Um, geez, as a personal person, I can't explain the U S political system very well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, that's that's a tough one. I don't one. think anybody can. Yeah. It's a tough yeah. one to wrap your brain around. Yeah, yeah. It, it okay. is. It is. Uh, yeah, I think that's you know kind of a okay. Uh, you know, other than that, I, I don't know. Those, were, those. I'm certainly sure that in my those were in, great in answers. My time left on this, this big, uh, big planet, which I hope is quite a long time, because I'm only 56. I'm sure there's gonna be some things I'll see. I'm like, what the heck is that? Yeah, <laughs> and I I, lo- I love that you're leaving your mind open to see more unexplainable things. I think that's great. Thank you for those answers. I, we appreciate yeah. them. Um, well, I, I think that's, that's the end um, of <laughs> the interview. The yeah. Is there anything else, anything else you wanted to share or, um, you know, I just would, if, if you don't have anything else, um, I would just say thank you uh, so much. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, well, thank you. Stopping Jane. And Sawtooth, I really appreciate y'all letting me come on and, and talk. This is fun. Uh, this is one of the um, the more fun things to do with my job, uh, again, being the public face and interacting with local media. So I'm just really thrilled and honored to be on here, as I said, at the top of the podcast and also uh, uh, your first military member. So the, the pleasure has been all mine. Well, thank you. Um, thank you so much. Stomping Jen, as we're wrapping up, is there anything you want to say? Me? Yes. No, I have nothing. Okay. This was great. I loved it. Yes. And I, I think people are going to really enjoy um, hearing ol- this interview. Yeah. The only other thing I can think to add is yeah. that I do sometimes get scared that those low flying planes are going to drop something on my head yeah. in the middle of the night. But other than that, no. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I don't share those fears. Um, so what we what we want to say to our listeners, Stomping Jen, yes. is thank you for listening. Yes, um, we appreciate always. this, um, and um, we love you, right? Yeah, we love our listeners. We do. And we um, do. wear a mask, be yeah. safe. Wear a mask, be safe. And Rodney, once again, thank you so much for joining us. And um, we um, hopefully in the future can we'll, we'll go on a tour. Go on a tour. That's yeah. right. Yep. And we'll bring we'll bring along our podcast press pass. Right, Stomping that's, Jen? That's right. Okay. All right. All right. Bye, everyone. We love you. Um, thank you so much. Bye now.
that this world of ours, ever growing smaller, must avoid becoming a community of dreadful fear and hate. Those who have freedom will understand also its heavy responsibility. That all who are insensitive to the needs of others will learn charity, and that the sources, scourges of poverty, disease, and ignorance will be made disappear from the earth. And that in the goodness of time, all peoples will come to live together in a peace guaranteed 